I'm actually going back to the old stuff. You feel this link with antiquity and the pureness of things. In my own work, I'm looking for pureness, honesty or clearness, and that you feel everything fits, everything falls in its place. I'm trying to find harmony and elegance, but it shouldn't be boring, you know, so there has to be some tension. That's my play, that's what I'm looking for. For me, art or creativity, it's about serious playing. And I always said to my students, feel if you remember, like how you could play as a child. Hi, this is Sarah with another episode of Materially Speaking, where artists tell their stories through the materials they choose. Today I'm talking to Dutch artist Hoes Joyce, who is a sculptor and art historian who divides his time between the Netherlands and Italy. I first met Hoes at Studio Pescarella, where he showed me some of his current work. Smooth, curving sculptures in pure white and veined white marble. He creates fluid abstract forms which flow, sometimes endlessly, with soft, graceful curves. We met a couple of days later for our interview in the center of Pietrasanto. We found a quietish spot to sit behind the Duomo by Igor Mitterai's half-man, half-horse statue, the Centaur. Pietrasanto is a place where you tend to arrange to meet someone in front of a sculpture, and there are many to choose from. We decided on an early morning coffee as it was one of those hot days when you know by midday the sun will be much too much to work in and the beach will be the only option. My name is Guus, which is Dutch, so the Dutch G. Guus Joos, which is a German name because my grandfather was German. I call myself Gustavo in Italy, Gustav. Since 1996, I said, okay, I'm an artist from now on. I had much problems in saying about myself that I'm an artist, you know, people in Holland are always a bit skeptical and they say, oh, you're an artist? Yeah, you're in the pub all day, I suppose. You know, that, that's, <laughs> that's a bit... Uh, so, um, but I'm here in Pietrasanta since 1988. I was already graduated as an historian. I've been working in a museum over 10 years, but still I always wanted to do art. I always wanted to study art. I had been doing one year of Art Academy, Art School in Holland. Um, but at the end of the first year, I got in touch with working in stone through my teacher of three-dimensional. And uh, he had little pieces of marble because he also worked here. I found out much later. And I love the marble and I loved Italy already. I had come here since 1980. So that's now 40 years ago. And I had fallen in love with Italy. And I always was looking for an activity here. Not to be the tourist that does, you know, three churches before the morning coffee and then again another museum. And I mean, I love art and I love historical things, but only consuming was not my thing. So I tried archaeology as well and I tried architecture. <laughs> but sculpture was really something that hit me. So I started in Azzano in the mountains. When was this? That was 1988. And uh, I loved it there. And I mean, the late 80s, everything was still very experimental and playful, half as serious as it is now. 
I learned a lot there and it was in a mountain village and it was in the green, it was in the nature and I made friends there and I kept coming back and I always organized myself free for a month or so to go to Atano. And of course being here uh, the Italians know everything and they are so generous in sharing their knowledge with you because they they feel it as a compliment that, that foreigners coming from so far want to know what they are doing with stone. And I love the marble. It's, it's beautiful. It's such a... The working is so nice. So tell me about the marble. What marble do you work with mostly? What are your favorites? The Carrara marble from here. But I mean, no stone is the same as the other. Actually, the first years, I never knew exactly what I wanted to make, but working with the subia, which is the point chisel, I loved it. And just working by hand. Actually, the first eight years that I worked in stone, I only worked by hand. Can you tell me about the subia? Because I don't know much about the, uh, the subia tools. Is, subia is hardened iron, temperato they call it. So the point is hardened in fire and the rest of the iron is still weak. So the back of the chisel by hammering on it, it's also formed. And it feathers because of that. You have to learn the coordination that the hammer hits the chisel and not your thumb or your fingers, you know? So that's the first thing you have to train. But at the end, you are developing your sensitiveness. It becomes a prolongment of your body. In Holland, we have skating on ice. That's a typically Holland thing. And I always, as a kid, I loved it. And it struck me that there is a comparison because ice is frozen water. It's a crystal structure, like marble is a crystal structure. And also the means that you touch the crystal structure is with a piece of iron. But in skating, the piece of iron is under your feet. But there I had the same sensation that it is as if your nerves, you feel the ice through the skates. And with the working in the subia, you feel the marble through the point of your chisel. It's like how you use a pen, you know, and you're, you explore it. You can see a stone and it can look nice, but only when you work it, you start to know its characteristics. I had the luck to meet people who have had access to good Satuario quality marble. But I have a, an old collection of stones in Utrecht and <laughs> last time somebody said, Goes, is it really marble? Because they're also white, there's no veins. I said, yes, it's actually the best marble. But now lately I thought, okay, I want to do more uh, marble with veins, venatura. And I found some Arabiscata the last years through the neighbors who have a sawmill in the studio. I also love working that. And if you work with a stone that has a very wild design, you have to also adapt your form, I think. You don't want to do something figurative if it has dots everywhere. I mainly do abstract forms. You have to simplify your form. So the design of the stone is not in concurrence with the form that you want to make out of it. Where were you born and what was ah, okay. your childhood okay. like? I'm from Utrecht, Holland, and I studied history in Utrecht. And after graduating, I never got away from there. My parents also loved art. And I remember as young children, our parents took us to the famous park Sonsbeek. They had world-renowned exhibitions on sculpture. After World War II, in modern art, there was this whole wave of optimism. We're going to do it better. We want to get away from these horrible war years. And there was this, this optimism that you could see reflected in the sculpture. 
I think that made an impression on me. It's not a clear memory, but looking back, I think, yeah, that's how I had the first taste. My parents loved art, though not really encouraging to make it your profession, because it was, of course, you need to have a, a good profession. But studying history and then working in a museum was quite nice. So you worked in museums in Utrecht? No, in Rotterdam, in the City Museum, which was an historical museum. Later on in the Openluchtmuseum in Arnhem, which is a folklore museum, basically. So those were funny years because I started doing collection research and ended making exhibitions there. So it was quite nice and I could have gone on, but at the same time I got frustrated that I wanted to do my own thing, which was art. And a friend with whom I went down to Italy said, Goes, what do you want with your life? What are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea, but it has to be something with art and it has to be something with groups. And next day, a friend of me who was a teacher there, he said, I have a full group and I need an assistant. I have somebody, but I prefer it if it would be you. So that was like everything fell in its place. Through that, I became an art teacher. I never studied for it, but I love history of arts. I always could tell a lot about art history. People like that. And it's through giving courses that I more and more became an artist. I mean, I had only one year of art training at Art Academy in Utrecht. But being here, doing shows with people, seeing a lot, that's so I'm autodidact, you call it in Dutch? Mm -hmm. I think it's the same in English. Okay, okay. Autodidact. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's basically through the practice and seeing a lot, doing a lot. I lived off selling my work for a couple of years, but then I thought I need more income. And so now I'm working in the City Museum of Utrecht as a tour guide. And the funny thing is that they were looking for somebody who is fluently German. And by doing courses here in Italy to German students, I learned fluently German. So How many languages <laughs> do you speak? Um, English, Italian, French and German and Dutch, of course. Some Greek. <laughs> I worked also in Greek three, three summers. Oh, tell me about Greece. Oh, Greece is, is beautiful because it's a bit more rough wildlife than Italy. Italy is more civilized, maybe. And if you're at the Cyclades, where there are marble finds, the light is incomparable. I've never seen a light like that. It's, where, it's, where is this? The Cyclades, Tinos, Delos, Mykonos, Syros. I've been on Tinos and Andros. What are the qualities of the light that are special? Um, is it all day or...? I think it has to do with the reflection on the seawater. The Aegean Sea is the darkest blue that you've ever seen. And there's something about the silvery quality of the light. It goes through everything. I've never seen it somewhere else. It's beautiful. And how did that affect your art? Well, you, you feel this link with antiquity, you know, and the pureness of things. I'm not working figuratively because I think people have done that through the ages so good and so well that who am I that I think I can still contribute something there. But in my own work, I'm looking for also pureness or honesty or clearness, you know, and that you feel everything fits, everything falls in its place. I'm always looking for clarity and it's about movement. I have this conviction that I let form be a product of movement. I learned a lot by giving courses. I hear myself saying things to my students that I actually didn't know that I knew them. And that gives me an insight and I say, oh yeah, wow, I didn't know that I know that. So like, for instance, I say to my students, if you make this form, if you want to get more tension in this surface, think of how a river flows to a landscape and this meandering, we call it, you know, this curve, these roundings of the river. If you work the surface like a river, you eat away every time a little bit so that you get to the perfect bowing surface. 
that's what I try with my forms as well. So you scrape, scrape, scratch, scratch, layer after layer until you really get it to an essence. As the Italians say, okay, the form is there, but now you need to spoliare, you need to undress it to come really to the core. So that's what I'm basically trying. It's about movement. It's, it's very nice that people who are professionally engaged in dancing or music, that they recognize something in my work. They sometimes really react very enthusiastically because they see this movement. So it's about movement and, and form. And form. form as a result of movement. Form has a beginning and an end. And that you come to the essence in the way that everything which is superfluous on its way to the beginning and the end, that you just put it away so that you remain with some essence. That's actually quite simply formulated what I try to do. For me, it's sort of going back to the ice skating. It sort of <laughs> yeah. it feels like that's quite, it was quite a defining yes. thing. Yes. talk to you about lockdown, the pandemic. Oh. So we're talking yes. in early September 2020. Um, you're, you've got another day at the beach, I've got another day at the beach. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yes. then we have to... And then it's over. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. over. You know, we're all looking at the figures every day to see what's going on. Yep. So what happened to you in February, March of this year? Where were you? And well, I was here. There was a funny thing. And I had a, a influenza and I slept all week basically. And then I had this cough that didn't go away. Then, okay, a friend called and I said, who's there going to lock down Italy? So if you want to leave, you have to hurry. And two days later, I was gone. I was one of the last to get out of Italy, so to speak. Do you think that was COVID? I don't know, because uh, when I got to Holland, I called my doctor and I wanted to be tested. And he said, no, we don't do that. If you have signs, you stay at home, stay away from people. So I had a cough for more than three months and I've never had that in my life. Felt as a bronchitis that I had as a kid burning feeling in my lungs and I had no taste so sounds like very much and then um, somewhere half May and the weather was good and you, the open water was good for swimming so I went to swim and I really made it an exercise to do every every day a little bit more a bit further with deep breathing and then it got away finally but I, I was in isolation and I, I had two courses which were on the list that I should give. So that income I missed. But I used the time to work for myself. So I produced collages and for two months it wasn't bothering me. I had fun for myself. But then I started to really miss people around me and contacts and friends and, and just exchange and really desperately wanted to touch somebody or so, you know. And it was after the results negative. I immediately called my family and we made an appointment to have dinner together. And I became very emotional and then we got into a fight. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really quite stupid. I think it was all because he had everything stored so long. He had just postponed. So you do something to yourself as well. You were in a survival mode. You don't allow yourself to realize what it's really doing to you. And that's only after that. Looking back, I could reconstruct. Oh shit, yeah, it was really a heavy thing. And do you think it's changed your outlook on life or impacted your work? I'm 63 years old, so you know you're aging, but during this lockdown I had for one moment to face this reality, yeah, you might die, simply like that. And of course I will die, you know, but usually you live in the illusion of immortality. <laughs> so, yeah, that was sort of dramatic, yeah. I, I was always in my life looking what I want to do and I didn't know what and where. 
and what sort of career. But I love what I'm doing and this is it. Make the best out of it. You know? So tell me your routine of working. You you live in Utrecht yes. and then come here for... Two or three months. Yeah, the funny thing is, I just explained the other day, I have an atelier in Utrecht, but it's more a depositor because it's a basement and I don't like to work there so much. I only work when I can work outside, when the weather permits. So under the streets, under the houses, there are basements. I have five vaults in my basement and it's all medieval. It's a bit dusty and it's a bit stinky and... So I have mostly that as a deposit. I'm there 18 years now, 20 years. I'm looking for another atelier, but in Holland, it's, I mean, Holland, it's almost impossible to find something. But I have to carry everything down, so I make small forms. But I like also to make bigger size forms. So the thing that I have to do is to hollow them out, to make it as airy as possible, so that is I that can carry do? them. Yes. Wow. So I, it was only recently that I heard myself also saying that to somebody. That's actually the logic of it. I'm an Aquarius as a birth sign, and that's an air sign. So I make airy things. I like to make them airy. There are a few works that are titled so Arioso, you know, so it's airy. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> Here I do stone in Italy and in Holland I make collages. They are maybe more in reference to my background as an historian. I still love history. So I work my associations with old civilizations that are lost, you know, the Byzantine Empire or something like that. And these associations, I put them in images. I always think in images, and those are my collages. They look like a tapestry or like Persian rugs. I'm fascinated by geometry, with the regularity of these geometric patterns that the Islam artists made from the 6th, 7th century onwards, or earlier even. That was always an inspiration for me. So what are the collages comprised of? It's a very funny procedure that I sort of spontaneously invented at art school. I was cutting and gluing, working with very simple watercolors, and I put them on photocopies. And then I have these colored photocopies with a pattern. And then if I drench it in oil, the paper is getting thicker and it gets this certain parchment quality, and it also becomes transparent. And it's the transparency that I use for putting different layers on each other because it gives this time dimension. The German word for layer is Schicht. And history you call Geschichte. Is there a connection? So it's about the layerness of the history. And that's my inspiration. People sometimes think there's a big contrast between my sculpture and my collages, as I call them. But for me, I think they fit well together. I always try to convince gallerists that one compensates the other, but no discussion, you know. Can you describe the work that you're doing in marble? That's a difficult one. Well, I can say what my inspirations are. If I look at art, I'm very old-fashioned, actually. My big heroes are all artists that have passed away now, like it's Henry Moore or Brancusi or... Uh, there's less well-known guy, Alberto Viani. He, he was a teacher at the Art Academy in Carrara and he did the Biennale in Venezia in 56, you know, so way back. And Hans Arp or uh, Antoine Ponce, that's a French guy in the 70s, 80s, 90s. They all had work made here. In our studio, there's Sauro Lorenzoni, a very old artisan, so uh, artigiano, and he has worked for some of them. 
Really? Yes, and he has known them. And, and Marino Marini he knew, and Noguchi, also one of my favorites. It's actually those guys that really are my inspiration because they also go for pure form. They all had a classical schooling still, figurative, and then they fought themselves free for that. So they made huge steps. And actually, for me, in art history, I'm sorry, but most of what is coming after that, I'm not so interested. I'm not fond of pop art. I'm not fond of postmodernism or, or what's it called, uh, conceptualism. I very rarely see conceptual artists that, that I really like. I'm actually going back to the old stuff. I, I love that. I like the honesty of it and that it's one-dimensional. I don't like assemblage art, you know? It has to be one form, one piece of stone, not adding plastic or, or iron or glass or whatever. So this, yeah, this unity. And I'm, I'm trying to, to go for, to find harmony and elegance, but it shouldn't be boring, you know? So there has to be some tension. So that's what I'm, that's my play. That's what I'm looking for. And yeah, there's some noise here. <laughs> Very cute little Fiat, but a noisy one. It's basically also playing, because for me, one of the basic things in art, one of my favorite Dutch historians, very famous, Huizinga, he died already in the 1940s. He was a cultural historian, and he wrote a book called Homo Ludens, so it's the playing human being. He defined playing as an essential aspect of a living culture, and I always felt that. You set yourself certain limits, within you do your play, or like the English that they do games. You find a bunch of crazy rules and you call it cricket. And within those rules, everything is possible. That's playing. And for me, art or creativity, it's about serious playing. And I always said to my students, feel like if you remember how you could play as a child. Children are playing in a very serious way. It's about life and death. Because they live in this fairy tale world and everything is essential and everything is important. And that's pure creativity. Thanks to Hoos Joyce. You can see his work on his website, hoosjoyce.nl. And thanks to you for listening. As with all episodes, you can find photographs of the work discussed on our website, materiallyspeaking.com, or on Instagram. If you're enjoying Materially Speaking, please subscribe to our newsletter on our website so we can send you news and let you know when the next episode goes live. And if you feel moved to leave a rating or review on your favourite podcast platform, we'd be very happy as that will help people find us. Yeah.